Welcome everybody to the Pierce Point Podcast. Today we are going to take care of the rest of Luke chapter 9, uh, starting at verse 28. Um, there were some thoughts on the U version that I wanted to, to definitely bring into the discussion uh, this afternoon. We are recording this in the afternoon, but... Um, one would have been found all the way back on day 12, which is all the way up on day 12 to us because we're not there. <laughs> That's so good. We're so far behind that we have to move up to day 12 to talk about the passages. So Sarah, uh, my wife, Sarah Frankhauser, comments and says, in verse 15, Jesus warns against every form of greed that made me that made me pause and consider what other forms of greed there are, covetousness, stinginess, gluttony, hoarding. These are some that come to mind. The example Jesus gave was a man who built bigger barns to hold his abundant crops. I see that as being practical, but Jesus said it was a form of greed. Does anyone else have any insight to this? Is it because he got lazy and congratulated himself? I have a feeling uh, we are confronted with greed more often than we'd like to admit. And of course, uh, down a little bit further, a couple of people chimed in on this. Bob Girding said, I see we I see us as the barn and the gospel as the food stored. We are called to feed the multitude by sharing the word, held accountable, um, and held accountable for not doing so. Interesting thoughts there. I like that. Um, John and Bobby Daniels. At the end of the parable, Sarah mentioned Jesus says, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The way I understood it was that the man was more concerned about his own wealth than he was with God's work. Uh, is it possible that there is a reasonable amount of storing and then a point when a person is just hoarding for themselves? In this parable, that point seems to be when you have so much, you tear down your old barns for bigger ones. And honestly, I think uh, Jonathan and Bobby's uh comment there is is right on. Mm -hmm. I think I the I think the issue comes down to God has no problem with us having. Uh, the issue is when we are we are not a generous people. So Sarah uh, again commented a little later and said, I think you're right to John and Bobby. I also agree with Bob. We can be greedy by keeping the gospel to ourselves. It's funny that the question to Jesus that initiated the parable was one of a man wanting validation for demanding his brother his brother split the inheritance with him now we don't know the details of his situation but Jesus saw his motivation regardless of the circumstances so two other forms of greed may be demanding fairness or demanding your own way in general uh, and then Sarah asked for any further thoughts on that but these are all really amazing thoughts and I I don't really have a lot to add to that. I mean, when we get to that to that passage of Scripture, when we get to um, Luke chapter 12, we'll, we'll hammer in on it. But um, I think what is really amazing and worth pointing out here is that when we ask the questions of each other, uh, we come together and we, when we provide some answers based on the text of Scripture, not just our own opinions or our ideas. And uh, it's very likely we're going to come to a reasonable answer. Of course, there's deeper things to dig into, uh, but I think both the questions and the answers provided 
in uh, day 12 are very powerful. I think they're helpful. Mm-hmm. And so way to go, uh, Jonathan and Bobby and Bob and Sarah. So this morning, or today, we are jumping into uh, Luke chapter 9, and we're going to start with this crazy event called the Transfiguration. So what yeah. stands out to you? Well, it is a uh, uh, notable text. Uh, this, there are lots of schools of thought on, on this, but let's, we'll jump right into it. Uh, verse 28, some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, he being Jesus, the, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So I'll stop right there. I, this, this, is a, this is an amazing uh, detail of, of a story that, that, that is, has so, is rich with meaning. It's, it's something that has perplexed people, I think, over the years because it is, it is so, uh, it, it's, it's one of those heavenly things that we have a very difficult time understanding because I, I, I don't know that we'll see this or have ever seen anything like this before. Absolutely. I think that there is significance in, uh, say, verse 28 that says, some eight days after these sayings, of course, we're, we're talking about what we read before uh, in, um, in the 5,000 being said, and specifically what takes place in that moment. So in that moment of the 5,000 being, being fed, or right after that, uh, Jesus asks his disciples who the people mm-hmm. said he was. And of course, their response is John the Baptist, Elijah, and some of the prophets, or one of the prophets that had risen again. Um, and then, of course, Jesus turns this uh, perfectly on his disciples because he, it's important who they say he is and says, but who do you say I am? And of course, we've commented on the fact that Peter seems to be this first guy raising his hand all the time, but Peter mm-hmm. jumps in the Christ of God, or or as another uh, gospel says, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Um, right after this confession, Jesus says that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected, all of this. So he gives these sayings or these statements that he's making, and then he talks about, you know, people not tasting death until the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. and we, we kind of alluded to that in the last podcast, but... The significance of verse 28 is that it's only eight days after Peter's confession of who Jesus is that Jesus seems to invite Peter, John, and James. Uh, These are uh, Zebedee's sons. These are the sons of thunder, uh, as we see elsewhere. But they go up to the mountain to pray, and in this moment, they're able to see this amazing glory. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. there is uh, there is some sort of spiritual connection here that says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, uh, Jesus is Lord, you know, uh, this kind of glory, this kind of experience, not always on this planet, but uh, is ours. Mm-hmm. We will see God. We're, we're seeing Jesus for who he is. Another notable piece here is the two people that are seen mm-hmm. with Jesus. And I don't think, uh, Luke being a detailed guy, I don't think he 
puts these names in this order for any other reason than to say Moses, who represents the law, and Elijah, who represents the prophets, um, Jesus appears with in the presence of two real, very real men, right? These were these are very real figures, but there's an idea of the law and the prophets and the one who brings this all to fulfillment mm-hmm. in his transfiguration. Mm-hmm. I think there's that. There are scholars who debate that, who would say, oh, what is the theory? The theory is something along the lines that uh, these represent the two end-time prophets of Revelation, but there's mm-hmm. really no evidence that that justifies that opinion. There's a lot of conjecture, a lot of, I'm sure we could draw some parallels, or at least what we think, but we have Moses, who is the giver of the law, or the, you know, the person who delivers the law from God's hands, and then Elijah, who represents this huge figure mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the prophetic mm-hmm. world uh, of Jews. I like to go back, as you've done, to go back to what was just going on just before this. And, and as you've said, uh, Jesus is asking, who, who, do, who do you say that I am? Peter answers, and the Christ of God. So Peter, at just eight days prior, had said, you are the Messiah. You are the one that's been prophesied about. And then Jesus goes right into saying, but the Son of Man is going to suffer many things and be and, and be rejected by the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. I think there it would seem to me, it would seem to me, and if, if I were hearing and seeing all this and trying to put myself in there, I I have to think that at this point, at least Peter, James, and John would be a little bit uh uh, they they don't they don't understand what's going. He's just been Peter has just said you are the Christ of God, but you're going to die. Wait a minute. If if you are on a level with God, how how can that be? How that so so how so then then we go directly into the into this this amazing story about where they see physically see Jesus face change and they see the glory of God and it's and it's gleaming and glowing and it became white it says and gleaming now i read where one one commentator says that that the miracle was not in the fact that jesus face was gleaming and glowing it's the fact that it didn't do it all the time he was god he he feels like that that it probably took more to keep that from happening than it did to make it happen that's because cool. he was god but that's that's commentators stories but it's it's really cool to think about when you when you uh, uh, think about that the other thing that's to me is notable is the fact that that it seemed to me uh, there was not an announcement made as to these other two men Moses and uh, uh, Moses and Elijah and they seemed to know who they were they it seemingly they 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 knew who they were so there, there's there's a lot in this story that we'll kind of have to walk through, but I, yes. I am just amazed by the fact that they were able to see the glory of God on Christ himself. Yes. It, it's easy to read uh, it's easy to read verse 30 as simply a descriptive uh, uh, detail of Luke, right? The, yes. the one who's writing the story. And behold, two men were walking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, as if he came to discover this later. And of course, Luke does come to discover this much later, but it's at the account of the men 
who were there most likely. Mm-hmm. And and so in 33, we see that Peter and James and John knew who these two yes. men were. But before we, before we get ahead on all of that, it, it's very interesting in verse 31 mm. when it says, appearing in glory, uh, Moses and Elijah and Jesus glowing now, you know, be, became white and gleaming. Uh, they're appearing in glory. We're speaking of his, Jesus's departure. And I love this line, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Mm. So the thing that Peter and James and John are hearing about is not only that Jesus had told them that they he had to be he had to be crucified by eight days earlier mm-hmm. by the Jewish leaders. He had to go to Jerusalem and he had to be and he had to be uh, executed in this fashion. They don't understand this fully, but now we're hearing departure language, and you got to imagine that the that the disciples are thinking. Wait, wait a second. What in the world is going on? Now, here's where I just jump into this kind of real world level. And I wonder how it is that you can see Jesus fill two boats full of fish. Mm-hmm. Jesus calm the winds and the waves. Jesus uh, feed 5,000 people. Jesus, heal your mother-in-law, mm-hmm. Peter's mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Jesus, cast out demons and cast legion of demons, this multitude, into pigs. They run off a cliff. All of these things you've experienced, as well as being equipped by Jesus to go into cities and towns, cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, whatever it was. They're doing all of these things Then they go up with Jesus after Peter's confession. They go up with Jesus. They see him glowing. They see Elijah and they see Moses with him. And yet we're going to come to a point where Peter is still denying Jesus. Yes, yes. I hear this all the time among Christians. They say, if we simply were able to experience the supernatural Mm -hmm. the way they did in Jesus' day, it would change everything. And my gut says, that's not not accurate. It's not accurate. Peter is the guy. He's with him. And yet he can't see it. Yeah. He can't see it. I I have to imagine that, that Peter at some point gets confused over this whole matter and and I and and you know stick with me on this, but he has just he's seen Jesus raise the dead, and yet Jesus has told him, "I'm going to die. I'm going to go. I'm going to die." And 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 Peter would have to be thinking, or I would have to. I'm just going to give you my thought. Like, Wait a minute, you're you. I have just proclaimed that you are the Christ of God. You are the Messiah. Messiah. You don't die? Yeah. You, no, that doesn't happen. So I can see where all of these things would be a lot to, to take in, and then all of this happens, and they they see Jesus and Moses and Elijah come are, are there. I, I the story is 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 something that uh, that we can only picture in our minds and yes. really how this how this happened. And what exactly <laughs> The conversation that they were speaking, Moses and Elijah and Christ were speaking about the departure which he was about to accomplish at, at yes. Jeru- Jeru- yes. Jerusalem. How does what were they what were they talking? Are, yeah. are you really going to do this, Jesus? Yeah, you you definitely want to be present for this conversation and see what's happening. So, verse thirty two takes us further. 
And I'm telling you what, <laughs> as a pastor, um, if Jesus' disciples are falling asleep at exactly. a moment like this, then I have no hope for people exactly. in the middle of a sermon. It's just not going to happen. So verse 32, now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep. Yep. Are you kidding me? Okay. <laughs> but anyway, enough of that. Now, again, the, the theories here are the same that we see in Gethsemane, which is that there's an idea that they're overcome with sorrow, that, that there is a great taxing on their emotions and on the you know their minds about what all this means, and so that that causes them to sleep. I'm not sure. I mean, they can get Navy SEALs to stay up for like six years in a row or something, so I don't, I don't buy it. But anyway, so he goes on. They were overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake... They saw his glory mm-hmm. and the two men standing with him. So we, we have to make sure we understand they saw this in their right minds. Mm-hmm. Maybe what that was is a rewind before the transfiguration happened, but they woke up to mm-hmm. see it. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, verse 33 takes us forward and says, and as these were leaving him, uh, this is, you know, this... Uh, the two, uh, Moses and Elijah, as these were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Yeah, I'll bet you think that. Um, (laughs) Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and reported that reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. You notice that line, in Mm -hmm. those days, they hadn't reported it. Mm -hmm. But then we give an account of what took place a little bit later. Um, Here, this is an intriguing thing. Peter's idea is let's keep the law, the prophet, and the Messiah. Let's keep them here. Mm -hmm. Let's keep Moses. Let's keep Elijah. Let's keep Jesus. And God's response to this, this is the only thing that I can derive from the text itself, that God's response is, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him, and everybody disappears. Yes. Yeah. Which is, he's enough. He's the one. As I'm reading this. He's the one. There was a tabernacle. It may may have even been, and I'll have to check my sources on this. It may have even been this three tabernacle thing that Peter said that he wanted to build. There was was a feast of tabernacles where they actually did some sort of a shelter and, 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 uh, uh, but I, I don't know if, if this was what Peter was alluding to, a Jewish custom or ritual that they did. But he says something that's it's, it's like, Master, it is good for us to be here. Well, yeah, I think it probably is good for you yes. to be there at that time. But, but I see this, and, and they, what was notable to me uh, is that, that, that they, Peter and James and John, they mentioned seeing the glory of, of God, they saw they saw Jesus' glory. They don't mention the glory of Moses and Elijah, right. and and then that that was just notable to me. And then the fact that that out of the cloud, as you've said, this voice comes. He says, "This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him." It's there didn't need to be another 
monument to Moses and Elijah. I, I don't mean that in a in a disrespectful way, but it, but God, I and I, I think was saying, if you hear him, you everything else will fall into place as it should because everything is under him. He's been given everything, so listen to him. Hear what he has to say. Absolutely. Uh, so, great story. Yeah, I think the. Um the first thing is the reference to the festival of of tabernacles or the festival of booths mm-hmm. right is mm-hmm. the is the idea here um uh, i believe that the festival is called sukkot but mm-hmm. and nonetheless um this idea was common to them and so they're trying to they're trying to hold on to this but god is seems to be pointing to the idea that his um his son is enough, and that they shouldn't uh, they shouldn't concern themselves yes. with this situation. So let's roll on into uh, verse thirty seven. On the next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. Now, of course, we're seeing this strange imagery where he comes down from the mountain like Moses with the ta- with the you know the stone mm-hmm. tablets and. And the crowd's there, and a man from the crowd shouted, "Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he, uh, for he is only a boy. Uh, for he is my only boy. Sorry, for he is my only boy. And a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams, and it throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth, uh, and only with difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. And Jesus answered and said." And these are hard words to hear for people. You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Uh, Of course, we could go into the theories on what this child had, whether it was epilepsy or whether it was true demonic possession or or any of those things. But I think that that is asking a 21st century question Mm -hmm. of a first century text. I think what we ought to do is just zero in on this idea of, I was begging your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. It mm-hmm. had nothing to do with saying they would not. It, it simply says that they could not. And then Jesus's reprimand of them is similar to others, and yet he's pretty harsh, it seems here, you unbelieving and perverted generation. How long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think we read this and we we look at uh, the, the words that Christ said, and they seem unloving. They seem harsh. They seem... Uh, I, I, I believe that we have to understand that, first of all, Jesus seemed to be trying to teach them something and had been trying to teach them something. He still loved these guys. They were not getting it right on a, a lot of different levels, but they were doing a lot of things right. I I, I see them very much like uh, uh, people I, I, let me just let me just equate it to me. I, I think sometimes I get some stuff right and sometimes I don't get some things right. And I think Jesus could very easily, say, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Yeah. I, I, I think if we are able to, and we're, we're, we're in a, this is prior to the cross, so there's a lot of things that have to be qualified in this, yes. but I believe that if we are truly wanting the heart of what Christ wants us to do, that we will be a lot 
closer, hopefully, than to the point where we can't, we're not able to because we don't understand or we don't get it or we're not following Jesus. Uh, I, 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 I want to always be in the spot where I can, I can hear his voice. I, can, I, can, I know exactly what he wants me to do because I, I'm so close to him and I want to be believing. I want to have faith. I want to, to be uh, that, that person who is doing what Jesus yes, says absolutely. to do. I think um, a couple of angles from which to look at this is, is that you could say that the, the father comes and says, I begged your disciples to cast it out and they could not. Um, and therefore, the angle is that the very people that Christ had, the very apostles, the 12 minus three, because they were up on the mountain with Jesus, uh, Peter, James, and John, uh, the 12 minus the three previously had been commissioned mm-hmm. to go and to heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons. Uh, there's, there's one theory that says that that was a, that was a power an authority given to them for that one particular mission and only for that particular mission. Mm-hmm. Now, that on its surface, that sounds reasonable as an idea, um, except for that you have to keep reading the text. Yes. <laughs> That's always the case. Yeah. We come up with ideas and then you read the next verse and you're like, well, there goes that idea. So the point that I'm getting at is there's no reason for Jesus to reprimand them if that power was only given for one instance and then taken away from them. Right. And this pejorative attack, you know, this, this, this approach to say unbelieving and perverted generation makes no sense if Jesus is talking to the father who's bringing his son. He's, he's coming to Jesus. It seems he's not the perverted uh, or unbelieving generation. Right. He seems to be the believing and pure generation who's running to Jesus or and or running to his disciples first. So the way I see it is that the authority that was given to the apostles, as a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 2, we see it again, that people were marveling at all the signs and wonders that were happening through the apostles. There, there, were, there was this power that kind of went with them and continued to go with them. Um, so, so the idea here is that it seems Jesus gave them power, sent them out into these cities. They came back and they were marveling like, wow, this really happened. And then they kept that power. That power was with them. But they still doubted apparently. Yeah however this happened. And so the father says, I begged your disciples to cast it out and they could not. And Jesus just seems to look to them and says, you unbelieving and perverted generation. It's not uncommon for the Bible to say Jesus answered without it, uh, you know, and it, and it not give who he's directly looking at. That's common, you know? So the, the people in mind here from the previous verse in verse 40 is that the disciples who could not do something. So Jesus answered and said, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Um, so he, he brings the child and shows this is what, this is what they were supposed to be able to do or supposed to do. Mm-hmm. While he was still approaching, the demon slammed him to the ground and threw him into a convulsion. I believe that the answer here is not what commentators would say or not what some spec- speculate. 
I believe the Bible says it was a demon. It is a demon. That's mm-hmm. just the way mm-hmm. I look at it. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they could have been amazed at the greatness of God had his disciples mm-hmm. walked or his apostles walked in faith. And then it says, but while everyone was marveling at all that he was doing, he said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this statement, and it was mm-hmm. concealed from them so that they would not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this statement. Wow. So, thoughts. That is, uh, that is the thing that they're... That that is the most complicated piece of, of, of this to me is that, is that uh, they have seen Christ do things and just, just there, this healing of this demon-possessed boy. And they saw that, that he, as, the, as God, has control over the demons. He has control over the wind and the waves. He has control over death itself. And he turns right around and says... The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And they didn't understand it, and it was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this statement. It it seems as though there had to be a reason that this was being concealed from them. There was... There's some speculation that there is the chance that someone like a bold uh, uh, man like... Peter would have tried to have stopped this. And we see that he did try to stop it in the garden when he cuts off the servant of the high priest's ear. I, I, I don't, I don't uh, know exactly all of the reasons why, but, it, it, but from reading the text, we see that these men were not understanding the fact that Jesus had to go to the cross and die. It just wasn't sinking in with them yet. Yes. They hadn't comprehended the fact that as the Messiah... Messiah he was going to have to die for the sins of the world. Yes. The, there's a challenge, I believe, rightly so, there's a challenge in this verse that um, uh, that would lead us, that would draw us to this idea that says it was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it. And we look at this almost as cause and effect. You know, it, it's, mm-hmm. um, and I, I'm not suggesting that it, that it shouldn't or can't be read that way, but... When we, when we really start to analyze the Greek language, we see a verse that is almost the duplicate of this in chapter 18. And here's what chapter 18 says. It says, but the disciples understood none of these things. And we'll get there when we get to chapter 18. That's not my point this morning. Uh, but it says, and, and the disciples understood none of these things. And the meaning of this statement was hidden from them. And they did not comprehend the things mm-hmm. that were said. Well, that puts that is the it's the similar Greek, but it puts a slightly different spin on it that makes it sound like, and the meaning was really hard for them to discern. Yes, it was really hard for them to understand. And if that is in fact what is meant here, then the the statement that was supposed to sink in, let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men then that understanding, that, that statement was something beyond their understanding. They just couldn't mm-hmm. seem to grasp it. In other words, it was concealed from them 
so that they would not perceive it. Now, that's just my speculation. Mm-hmm. That's a hard thing to prove, but we can we can sit and play with Greek words all day long if we want to. The point that I'm getting at is that that first sentence, they did not understand mm-hmm. the statement, shows that they they couldn't wrap their minds around it somehow. The second statement is the one we have a problem with. It sounds like they couldn't understand it because they weren't allowed to mm-hmm. understand yeah. it. But then you have to ask the question, why would Jesus emphatically say, let this sink in, knuckleheads? Yeah. Right? Why would he say such a thing? And then the thing that sets them apart from the parables that we read before when Jesus said these things are concealed from the world uh, is that these men were afraid to ask yeah. Jesus what he meant. It worked for them before. It did, right. They should right. have run to him and said, we don't understand. We're, we're confused here. We don't get what is happening here. Help us to understand. But I think their pride is in the way. But that, again, mm-hmm. it's just simple conjecture. They have seen the the absolute glory of God on the face of Christ. They have seen the dead raised. They've seen blind made to see. They've, they've seen the lame walk. They've seen all of these things. And yet he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die. I, 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 can, I can see where not being able to wrap your head around everything that was going on. And, and this, the, these, these verses that we're reading are transpiring in a pretty short order of time, it seems. They were not able to get their head, head around everything that Jesus was saying and all of the things that were taking place there. So I agree, it could certainly be that they just, they, they just couldn't, couldn't yeah. get it. They could not get it and were afraid to ask. Yeah, I think another point of, another point of uh, consideration here is the exact statement of Jesus. He says, I must be delivered into the hands of men. I think when you see this rabbi you're following, I think when you see this one who is the Christ of God, according to your own understanding that the that God had given you, right? The, elsewhere in scripture, it says, flesh and blood, Peter, did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. When this is revealed to Peter, he, he knows who this is. I think the problem Peter is having is not that he didn't actually understand the words coming out of Jesus's mouth. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is he's going, how should men have any control over you? Mm-hmm. You kind of brought this up before, which is you don't die. Right. You're the Messiah. This doesn't make any sense. I think we make more out of this, maybe, than we need to when we don't take into consideration maybe what they were struggling with was that line delivered into the hands of mm-hmm, men. Mm-hmm. How can men touch you? Yeah. You're the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's their struggle. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, it's something that we're going to have to continue to look for the evidence and and figure that out as we go. So now we get to an interesting, uh, interesting debate here. <laughs> uh, the test of greatness, as some of your translations would give you a heading. Uh, verse 46 an argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. What does it matter when you can't heal anybody <laughs> exactly. or do anything? I, d- I just don't get this. Then verse 47. But Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, common phrase, we hear it all over the scriptures, 
took a child and stood by him, uh, stood him by his side, and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is the greatest. Okay, so we'll get on to the next pieces of this, but we often talk about this statement of, you know, childlike faith or, mm-hmm. or becoming like a child. In the context, what is being understood here? Is it, is it that this child was somehow, because he was younger, he was superior? The answer is no, of mm-hmm. course not. Mm-hmm. The issue is, and it's not that the child had a more uh, godly faith or trust. That actually isn't what's being communicated mm-hmm. here either. The child was the least among he was the overlooked. Uh, they, they counted the men. They overlooked the women, and they surely overlooked the children when they're counting Certainly. these numbers, right? They are not the greatest. They are actually the least. And what Jesus is saying in the context is, you, you, you are like a child. In other words, stop thinking of yourself in greatness mm-hmm. standards. Mm-hmm. This is hard to communicate inside of the church today because either people want a title or even if they don't want a title, they want positions of influence. Mm -hmm. There's an idea that has to do with power here. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is saying, you're thinking wrong. Yes. Right off the bat. Yeah, I think you're dead on right. I think it's this, this, these few verses, this starts off to give us a clearer picture of what these guys were thinking. They, they would never have wanted to be on his right and on his left and who's the greatest if they knew that they were going to be on a cross with Amen. him or they were going to have to choose to, be, to die with him at that point. They would, their mind was not, they were going to, the, to, to their version of the, the Messiah, Messiah, the king, the, the one that God was sending to save his people, that's what they wanted to be on the side of. They, wanted, they, 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 they surely did not get that there is suffering that's, that's going to come. They surely did not get that this was, uh, this was not a place uh, that they would look back on and say, Oh my, yeah, we should have done more to be, uh, to be in that group. We should have been on his right and his left. I, I think later they probably get this. I, it, it, it harkens back in my mind to what when, when Paul, when Saul uh, was on the road and, and they send, I believe it was Ananias, I think, that was sent to him. And, he, and, and Ananias was, had concerns about going to Paul and it seemed that God told him, he said, no, you, you have to go. I want, I want him to know all the things that he's going to suffer for me. It, it wasn't that he's going to write a, a, a large part of the, of, of the New Testament. It wasn't going to be that he was going to be a, a great leader in the church. He wasn't going to be a guy with power or posi- position necessarily. He's going to suffer for me, and that's what I want him to know about. And these guys surely did not it gives us an, an uh, they did not know that it gives us an insight into what they understood and didn't understand Absolutely. at this point i think it's the worldly mindset that says closer to the king safer the person mm-hmm. safer the mm-hmm. office safer the position and in this case closer to the king closer to his suffering mm-hmm. uh, you if you're going to fellowship with jesus you're going to fellowship in his suffering and you're going to see this 
uh, for what it really is, because the world is is not going to see him rightly, and and we see we've seen that throughout uh, the generations. So, so yet again, we've got an issue where becoming like a child doesn't doesn't talk about the the, the innate greatness of children. Children mm-hmm. are. Uh, trust me, I got four of them at home. They're pain in the neck sometimes. But <laughs> the idea here is that they are the least, and God is wanting people. He, he's wanting people uh, that are not interested in that position. He will make you what He needs to make you. I think that's mm-hmm. what we need to trust. That God's got the power. So, verse forty-nine. John answers and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow along with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not hinder him, for he who is not against you is for you. Now there is a uh, is an interesting passage that I think could be uh, uh, could be thought through for a while. Mm-hmm, I mean, it's mm-hmm. uh, what what do you mean that you're not? You're not against us, so there you're for your forest. Is this another? This is another religion. Is this yeah. another idea? The answer is, of course, no. But we have to we have to wrap our minds around it well, a little bit. If you think about it, this, is right on the heels of Jesus giving them a seemingly a stern rebuke for not having uh, for not being believing enough to cast out demons, and then all of a sudden, someone else is casting out casting out demons. This is, has to be frustrating to these guys. They're like, yes. it showed that these other followers of Jesus were able to cast out demons uh, when they were not able. Yes. I, yes. I, I th- it, it, it isn't any wonder that John wanted to stop them. Yes. He thought, you know, that we, we, he, he said, we tried to prevent him. Because he does not follow. Well, sure you did, because you couldn't do yes. it. Uh, I think the, the, the debate here centers around this phrase that says, he does not follow along with us. Does that, is this John speaking from the place of the, uh, the apostles? Mm. Uh, because, again, one way that you might look at this is that the, the reality is what you just said. There's other disciples. They're, they're walking by faith. They're doing the very things that Jesus calls them to do, but they happen to be outside that inner circle. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so now the apostles have a problem. Now, here's why I think that that is a really good interpretation to consider, because the previous verse is, an, is, is a problem with authority. Mm-hmm. The previous mm-hmm. verse is, mm-hmm. we're the 12, we're the top dogs, we're, we're awesome guys. And and yet they're missing the point, right? Yeah. And we're going to see that they keep missing the point as we walk down through these verses. So um, just a couple things to consider. Maybe these were other disciples and not just the inner 12, and they were getting jealous. Mm-hmm. That seems mm-hmm. to come right off the back yeah, of the absolutely. previous set of verses. Jealous. It's like we're not able to do it, and they are. So and, stop them. So stop them. And I think, I think it, it makes me think back to, to, to when... Paul, uh, when it was brought to Paul that there were other men that were preaching about Christ, and uh, he 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 said, "Hey, they whatever the motive is, praise and, God, uh, praise God that Christ is being preached." Yeah. Now that's a hard thing to wrap our minds around, and yes. we got to be careful to check ourselves. And I have wrestled with this. I have got to be careful to 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 recognize. When the frustration that I have is a frustration mm-hmm. out of envy, yeah, that's not yeah. a good place to be at all. So he rolls down 
into 51, when the days were approaching for his ascension, uh, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw this, they said, (laughs) oh my goodness, Lord, Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. Now, there's so much in that that it's just, it's going to take all day. But I want to, I want to point out that last piece. We have the motive of God. The mm-hmm. Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. If yeah. you want to know what Jesus came to do, he came to offer provision for all. That is his heart. He does not want to destroy men's lives. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah, it's 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 notable that 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 Jesus had had already there was already instruction that had been given about those who didn't receive him, shake the dust off their feet and go on. It was not to call fire down from heaven and destroy them and consume consume them. And it isn't any wonder uh, they they had a hard time recalling all of the things that Jesus had yes. said because. There again, this was something that he had already dealt with with yeah. them. I'm, uh, I'm thinking. I'm thinking about the story in the Old Testament. You've got, you've got this. Uh, you've got um, Elijah calling down fire uh, on the prophets of Baal, right? You've got her calling it down on the altar and then in consuming the prophets of Baal. And if and if there is any parallel in these two uh, statements, in these two ideas, uh, these people did not see the people of Jerusalem rejecting God as their brothers rejecting God mm. as a younger brother like in the Samar- the uh, in the story of the uh, the prodigal son as a younger brother just rejecting the father they viewed themselves as enemies like the prophets of Baal you, do you mm-hmm. want us to call mm-hmm. down fire from heaven um okay guys you know what is it that you're thinking and i can't think of a greater statement or a greater reward than hearing the God of the universe say, well done, good and faithful servant. But I can't think of a harsher statement for the God of the universe to say, you don't know what kind of spirit you are. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because in the end, there's there's two. You're either of the spirit of this age or you're of the spirit of God, and you don't want to be of anything but God. So this rebuke is powerful. You don't know what kind of spirit mm-hmm. you are of. And wow. is it, isn't it amazing that they so so they're they're just getting rebuke at every turn here. They're they couldn't drive out the demons out of this boy. It's it's somewhat amusing to think they're they're thinking that oh we're gonna we can call fire down from heaven yes. to consume these people. What were they thinking? It 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 was uh, their recent failure had probably. They'd completely forgotten about that, and it hadn't been that long ago. Without so, doubt, the sons of thunder. Yes, the sons of thunder, and there's why we're uh, we're referring to them. If you want to look up the reference that I was talking about earlier, you can you can go to Second Kings uh, chapter one and and go through that idea. But uh, yeah, just 
again, powerful, powerful stuff. So uh, 57 goes on, and this will bring us to our, our conclusion today. But as they were going along the road, someone said to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, back is fit for the kingdom of God. A couple of pieces that we're going to have to walk through this um, and, and observe. Um, is the first first person. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus' statement is, okay, but it's going to be a rough road. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. Um, you could follow foxes. They have holes. Birds, they they have nests. I have nowhere to lay my head. Mm-hmm. You you really want to go here? Mm-hmm. He, didn't, he didn't say to him, it's interesting, he didn't say, no, you can't follow me. He's like, yes, you can. There's he told him the truth. But it's, he didn't paint a rosy, uh, glamorous picture of what it was going to be like to follow him. Uh, it's so funny. We, in, in our day and time, we, when we talk about following Christ, I don't know that we use this scripture necessarily. No, this is on the sign-up sheet at church, is it? Yeah. I, I, I don't know that we, that we see, and, and I think it's, be, uh, we don't see the exact meaning that Christ say, that Christ had in this. He wanted them to know the truth. He wanted them to understand that, yes, you can certainly come after me. You can follow me, but it's not a glamorous, rosy path Absolutely. either. Yeah, I, I do think that this has a little less to do with um, you're actually not going to have a house. <laughs> right. The reason why is because we actually see that in the New Testament, that they, they went and met from house to house and, and all of this. So, so we're, not, we're not talking in particular about creature comforts or something like this, but what we seem to be seeing very clearly is an idea of rejection or suffering. Mm-hmm. And Jesus mm-hmm. said that we would, we would suffer for his name's sake. And so um, there's, a, there's a voluntary desire in, in the first guy, right? You, you notice, I'll mm-hmm. follow you wherever mm-hmm. you go. Uh, and Jesus' response is, okay, it's going to be a rough road mm-hmm. ahead. And I think we do need to understand that. You, you mentioned something that is just, uh, it's a very provocative thought, and that is to say, this doesn't end up on the sign-up sheet at the church where you say, hey, there's, there's a guarantee actually of suffering if you want to follow Jesus. So who's in? Mm-hmm. Instead, the message that we've promoted for so long is God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And we know full well what we mean by God has a wonderful plan for our life. We mean that he is going to make our roads smooth and our paths straight. And we're not going to have any sickness or disease or discomfort or problems or pain. Uh, that's not what we read in the mm-hmm. New Testament. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. simply not there. And so it seems that this is going to be a rough road. Now, the second piece, and he said to another. Now, this one is Jesus saying to yes. another, right? Notice the distance, difference. Follow me. No invitation in the first one, but an invitation in the second. Follow me. But he said, this is the one responding, Lord, permit me first 
to go and bury my father. Now, this creates all kinds yes. of problem in yes. people because they're going, God doesn't care about you know your family. No, look at what he says. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. He did not say, let your dad be buried by your family. They're all going to die anyway. Come after me. No, he said, allow the dead to bury their own dead. This is true. The dead are going to bury their dead, people destined to die. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. That's the only way they're going to have life. Mm -hmm. And people read into this that this man's father had died, and and, and it doesn't, the the text, the original text just doesn't bear that out. What it seems to be that the man is saying, he he wanted to remain in his father's house and care for him until his father died. So that gives us a totally different view of this. It wasn't like this man's father had just passed away and Jesus was saying, hey, no, if you're going to follow me, you can't go bury your dad. That's not what he was saying. And this is one of those pieces where understanding the New Testament in its world matters. So if you study anything to do with the Nazarites, Mm -hmm. uh, the Nazarenes, the Nazarite vow, one of the Nazarite vows was that you were were those caregivers and you could not be released from that until... Until that father had died. Well, in this case, it, it actually would be more akin to the to the guy saying to Jesus, I have a vow to fulfill. Mm-hmm. Please let me go do this. Not again, like you said, not my father's actually dead, and Jesus goes, I don't care. Mm-hmm. That's not what's happening here. So so he has to fulfill this vow and he would want to go back and do that. And Jesus is actually saying, just you know, go and share your message there. I think if we put that into its context, he would be saying, go and tell your dad about the kingdom. Mm-hmm, go and mm-hmm, tell those mm-hmm. who you know about the kingdom. So that's the thought there. Um, verse 61 and 62, here's our final piece. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, uh, but let me negotiate. <laughs> I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. Mm. Got any thoughts on that oh one? Oh my. This is, a, uh, this is another one of those verses that is uh, uh, where you have a guy that says, uh, yeah, I want to follow you, but I, I, I need to delay that. I, need, I got some things I want to do. And uh, the, where the previous guy had seemingly had... it. it it would have been a longer delay than this guy just wants to kind of uh, go back and uh, and and said, uh, you know, I want to say goodbye to my family. You know, uh, I, I want to say goodbye to those at home. And while that may be noble and that may we may not see the concern with that, Jesus wanted him to follow him then, right then. Yes. And, and that's I. I I, the, the, the statement that he gives to the man, uh, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I, I, I just, I, that's a, that's a startling statement. Yes. That's a very startling statement and one that you have to give a lot of thought to and think about for a while before you really grasp all that Christ has said there. Absolutely. In first Kings uh, 19, we see a, uh, 
a story of Elisha, and it says, So he departed from there and found Elisha. This is Elijah departed from there and found Elisha. Uh, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, uh, and he with the 12th, uh, and Elijah, Elijah, not Elisha, we just said Elisha, but now it's Elijah, passed over to him and threw his mantle on him because he was told that Elisha would pick up uh, his prophetic office. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. So Elisha has this mantle thrown on him, and he goes and he chases after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. So in that case, we have something very interesting because Elijah seems to have granted this young man this request, but Jesus doesn't here. He doesn't. Jesus doesn't and says, no, this is not going to happen. Um, I think the reason for this is that in this situation, God's kingdom is here. Yeah. God's kingdom is here. This is not a matter of going back to an old way of doing things. This is about yeah. a new uh, future, mm-hmm. about walking forward. So. And it's looking to Christ. It, yes. If you uh, look at the, 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 the way that a plow would have, what field would have been plowed, and, and this, is the, this is the analogy that Jesus gives, putting his hand to the plow, two things become very evident. First of all, they had to set their eyes on something ahead of them to yes. be able to make a straight furrow or a straight row. And the, and the second thing, William Barclay said, no plowman ever plowed a straight furrow looking over his shoulder. Yeah. So the, it's never going to happen. Can't you can't look back? And and this is this is and and the fact that Jesus said first, you put your hand to the plow. You have to keep your hand on the plow, and you have to keep looking ahead, yes. or you're not going to do your job yeah. well. The Apostle Paul saying, writing to the Philippian church, he says, "Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. It's the prize that he's referring to, and he says, but one thing I do." forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. And then he's talking about pressing on. Um, he runs the race in such a way as to win the prize. This is what we're talking about mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the call of the, the life of the Christian. We are, if we're going to follow Jesus, what we have to do is we have to keep our eyes focused forward. We're not turning around. This uh, is one of the great uh, passages, I believe, that needs to be brought up when we're talking about the call to holiness and righteousness inside of the kingdom of God. Not that those things are earning our place before God. That's, that's, we know the Bible better than that. But what is really important is that we can't say we've given our life to Jesus, we've, we've surrendered to him, he has set us free from our sin and all of those things, but I'm going to turn right back around and do it. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're not only turning our back on the things of the past, but especially the sin of the past, especially the old way of living our life. And I don't think we, I don't think we've put all of the connection connectors together yet. I think we need to make sure that we understand that everything that is of this world is something we've turned our back Mm -hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And we're walking forward, mm-hmm. we're pursuing Jesus, we're hungering and thirsting after his righteousness and nothing else. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is, um, is a powerful and very humbling 
call. Yeah. Yeah. Don't life. look back. Yep. So again, this is uh, this is just intriguing. Tomorrow we're going to jump into chapter ten uh, and look at the seventy being sent out. But for today, I want to encourage you to uh, share this podcast. I want to encourage you to like it on Facebook or on whatever uh, whatever platform you are listening to it. And uh, send us your comments. Send us your thoughts. We want to. We want to know your questions. We want to know your concerns about anything and everything that we're talking about. Um, you can email us at piercepoint at gmail Nathanfrankhauser at gmail or barneyestes at yahoo So until tomorrow, God bless you guys.